0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry Award-winning books, past and present.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. Today we're discussing Enchantress from the Stars by Sylvia Engdahl. And we're drinking the appropriately named Star Cocktail. Of course, we'll include the recipes so those of you who want to drink along at home can do so.
0: At your own risk. We have a 1970 review from the New York Times. Which reads: An interstellar empire is preparing to take over a planet inhabited by people still in the village and still in the village and myth stage. Agents of a post-imperialistic benevolent federation are trying to foil the invaders. Parasensory powers are as commonplace to the agents as material technology is to the invaders, and as magic is to the natives. So the plot has plenty of wonders to move amongst. Okay, so that um, that's part of the review, just to get us set up the big
1: plot, uh, but it doesn't include the main character, who's Elena. Right. Um, and she is a young, t- well, I guess a teenage girl who is betrothed to a man named Evric. <laughs> and uh, she's also the daughter of like one of the commanders.
0: Yeah. So they belong to this, this federation that has a very Star Trek-ish, like don't interfere with the natives policy.
1: Which, by the way, Star Trek, the original series, debuted in 1966. This book was written in 1970. So I can't help but feel it owes a lot to Star Trek. Well,
0: actually, if you read like on her website in Wikipedia, she mm-hmm. is very adamant that she wrote this well before. Oh. So she actually started writing this book in the 50s. Oh. Yeah. And she even named it the Federation long before Star Trek existed.
1: Hmm. Well, <laughs>
0: sometimes there's things in the zeitgeist, right? Yeah.
1: So I, I – but I do think that even if she wasn't influenced by Star Trek, I think that there's a lot of the similar themes.
0: Oh, yeah. So the whole, like, prime directive situation um, is one of the main plot points or, so mm-hmm. like, driving forces behind a lot of the plot points. Um,
1: so to be respectful of what she's written, though, I guess we'll, we'll lay off the uh, Star Trek yes content. But I do think that uh, – if you enjoy Star Trek, I think this <laughs> yeah. is something that you might all. This is a book you would also enjoy.
0: Absolutely. Although I think that uh, the people in this book adhere a little better to the Prime Directive than the Star Trek people ever did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kirk had ladies to charm. Sure. And they had hijinks to instigate. So you know. Yeah.
0: You do what you gotta do.
1: You do what you gotta do.
0: Or whom you want
1: to. Yeah. Uh, who? So the Star Trek uh, comparison aside. Um Elena has stowed away on her dad's ship that is landing on the surface of a new planet or a new civilization called a Youngling civilization.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And which it is, is there it's done
0: only in emergency. So like they're on a, a way to like a family vacation. They're actually going to re- like a reunion on a starship, but her dad gets called into duty and has to do this this mission which she's forbidden from joining in on because she's not a full-fledged agent yet.
1: But she's not going, she's not going for that. So she stows away and they discover her when they reach the surface. Now the directive, not the prime directive, but the directive, <laughs> the mission is her civilization is there to guide the youngling civilization into evolving. But there's a wrinkle, there's a few, several wrinkles, not a wrinkle in time, but just some wrinkles. Um, another youngling civil- civilization has come in onto that planet as well,
0: and they're a colonizing one who thinks that the native inhabitants of this planet are just animals and totally uh, not worth. Like they're not human, they're not people, and so they're going to exterminate them or put them on a reservation. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the the agents is to to sort of deter them from that without being revealed as the higher technological society.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's also,
0: like, the original
1: civilization, the Andracians, because they are they land on Andracia.
0: The Andracians, they also have,
1: this is interwoven into the story, they have, like, a folk tale about an enchantress. And they start to believe that Alana is the enchantress.
0: Yeah. And her dad encourages that. So in Alana's civilization, they have like telepathic powers and telekinetic powers that are part of their science. So it's not like magic and and mysticism. It's part of what they do. And it's very matter of fact. But the, the natives are very primitive and have this sort of feudal system. And to them, everything is magic. Alana meets
1: this group of boys. They think she's the enchantress. She feels very attracted to one of them, um, Joran. And his brother Turwin. She's not attracted to Turwin, but um, they become main characters then. And Alana and Jorwin.
0: I'm sorry, (laughs) Alana and I had to to write it. Jorin, Jorin. Let me. It's very like (laughs) Joril.
1: It's very. A lot of the names in this reminded me of Game of Thrones, and I don't know if that's just like kind of standard fantasy. Naming tropes,
0: I think maybe, because for me, I was so so reminiscent of just like a lot of those super random sci-fi that I read back in the day mm-hmm. and the, you
1: know, I'll, I mean, specifically in Game of Thrones, not in this, a, a lot of times those are just names that we know with like an extra vowel added in yeah. them. so <laughs> I would not a saying,
0: y or a w in there.
1: yeah, i'm not I'm not saying this is the case here, but, um. There is a lot of kind of playing with with names that are like like parts of names you already know mm-hmm. and kind of putting them together.
0: At the beginning when they discover her stowed away, there's an accident. And so one of the agents who's actually supposed to be there gets killed. And so she has to stay and fill in on the mission. And that's why she her dad encourages the natives to think that she's an enchantress. But she basically sets it up so that she is trying to get – one of the natives latent like psychic powers to kick in so that he can scare the invading culture into leaving the planet because it's not worth it it's too difficult if they think the entire culture has that then they'll be like oh it's not worth it and leave and so she sets these like three tasks in a very fairy tale way but it's really uh, instigating him into like awakening his his ability to do telekinesis Okay, so Turwin is killed battling a dragon. And what the villagers call a dragon is actually like the invading cultures, like ground clearing machine because they are like technology, technologically advanced enough to have spaceships and, and colonize other planets, but they're behind in other ways. And they're just trying to sterilize the whole planet so that they can come live there. So Alana's captured by the commander
1: of the invading forces, the invading younglings, mm-hmm. by a guy named Jarell, Her fiancé, who she's kind of rebuffed.
0: That's, all right, so that's a weird situation anyway. Yeah, that's a little strange. So the the people she's on this mission with are her dad, and then this this other agent, who this is his first mission as a full-fledged agent, but she's also apparently going to marry him, and in no way does it seem romantic, or like they actually really care anything about each other. And in the course of the story, she falls in love with, with uh, Joran, and it's reciprocated. But she has no intention of like letting it go anywhere, and she just... I don't know, it's so weird because she's gonna go back and marry this other agent. She even says, like, I guess we just take each other for granted. <laughs> and then and then they like at the end of the book, they're like at the spaceship window, like watching the planet recede. And she's like, Well, okay. Yeah.
1: I was a little I was a little confused by Alana's character. I I mean I get that like part of it. I felt like she was supposed to be like a space girl and like have other interests and other concerns and really be, I guess, really be adherent to what her mission is. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't understand the rules of, I guess the relationship rules that she was really abiding by, right? Yeah. I didn't completely understand it. And that could be partially because I'm so used to reading, like my whole life it's been books where, you know, two people fall in love, everything's fine. Or, you know, as time has gone on, like a woman is independent and then she chooses a man that she's okay with or, you know, other, I mean, I, it just didn't have the, uh, the usual things you usually, the things you usually read, the, like the, the, the love triangles that you might usually read in a YA book.
0: Well, I mean, so insofar as this is a love triangle, like there was no emotion at all, which is weird. Like even the person that she falls in love with, there's still like I, as someone who likes to read YA and lots of like science fiction, I am used to that sort of immersive, like emotional, like oh my god, and I got none of that. It was very dispassionate.
1: Well, and maybe that was the that was the point. Like she's a she's a space girl who is very logical. Yeah. Not saying she's a Vulcan. But, you know, maybe she's <laughs> They just, never say. Well, no, it's Oh, not. actually yeah. they do. But Yeah, but I mean, maybe it's that's that's a tenant of their people. Mm-hmm. You know, that they are very solemn, that they're very duty bound. I just never really got a good read on exactly like she was feeling all these things and using all this flowery language, but it didn't feel like it didn't read like it was this big in depth thing.
0: Right. Well, so Maybe this is a good bridge into, like, what did you like and what did you not like about this book? So, like, what did you like?
1: Um, I really appreciated there being an out-of-the-ordinary girl narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, as I indicated before, I don't – can't really recall a, a girl's voice that is similar to this. Right. So, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the the world building. I appreciate the politics. I appreciate the, you know, the nod toward conservationism, examining colonization. Um, There's a lot of things that I appreciated about the book in the bigger messages. But ultimately, it was not something that I really felt connected to.
0: Right. So I guess things that I like about this book are the fact that it is – a female writer of science fiction, and the main character is a girl. Um, I like the premise of the story, actually, but I like I like the premise better than I actually like the execution of it, I think. it's. I mean, it's exactly what you said. I didn't feel very connected. And I had some, like, specific issues that kept pulling me out of the book that were just distracting. Like, she's flipping back and forth between, like, this very – uh, modern sounding tone for Alana, but for Joran it's very formal like fairy tale-ish kind of language which makes sense but at the same time it's very distracting and since she's not actually speaking her language to him She's communicating telepathically while she's speaking out loud. That part didn't make sense to me. Like, logically, like, if she's talking and he's talking and they're just understanding because of a mind connection and not because of the words they're saying, I don't understand why they're speaking in completely different, like, dialects is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. So that bothered me. And then at the beginning of the book, she sets up a framework where she is writing this as an account to her cousin, right? And then never again is it ever mentioned. So she's writing it as though she's writing a letter to someone. And very occasionally she'll be like, as I'm sure you know, the directive says this or that. And it has a very explainy tone, which is blamed on the fact that she's writing essentially a a letter that is going to become a report also, which wasn't super enjoyable. But there's no like wrap up at the end. There's no reference to who she's writing to or why she's writing it to them. And it's just sort of off-putting.
1: One thing I didn't understand because of that format, I I didn't understand Joran's chapters. I didn't know where they were coming from.
0: Well, so she said in that beginning, like when she was saying, oh, and I'm writing this to you as my cousin and my friend, even though we've never met, which is weirdly specific considering that relationship is never mentioned again. The report won't be a formal official one. Father will write that. It'll simply be a personal account required from every agent who's involved in a mission. I've been asked to cover the Andresians and the imperialists are the Imperials' viewpoints as well as my own reactions. The service often requests this because they want you to learn to look at things the way younglings do. They demand that you be totally objective about the picture anyone you contacted got of you, even if this causes you to make yourself sound better sometimes than you really were. So please forgive what may seem like distortions in my favor. But that's the thing, right? Like, I don't... (laughs)
1: I didn't okay that's that's the problem I that's the where I was confused that's where I was confused. So, but she's writing
0: because, this letter to her cousin and making up the chapters from other people's points of view. Yeah,
1: and so but she's making it up with a different voice with basically like lionizing herself. I
0: mean like well and, and I, she
1: doesn't I mean it's it's several lot it, well it's covered a lot in there that they don't really understand each other's languages. So right. she like this is – it's a total fabrication, which actually makes me like her more <laughs> because she's like
0: – I'm 17 and this is how they would talk.
1: I'm awesome. I'm the enchantress. I'm and a queen. I got this long flowing hair. I know.
0: And when she's speaking, it's like the other person and like, she was so beautiful and like even that if – makes you, me like her more. <laughs> <laughs> even if you make yourself like – Sound better than you would. You still don't need to like be that elaborate about it. Like her her raiment was silvery fabric, and that's amazing. Her, her hair stood out in a halo from her face with flowing waves, but not long.
1: Like that's amazing, actually. Like yeah that that makes me uh, that makes me enjoy that those chapters more because <laughs> I hadn't really. I knew there was something I wasn't quite getting about them, but that's now I've I've put it together.
0: And so, like, the language, like, is understandable in that context, but it still takes you out of the story a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand, like, creating that specific framework at the beginning and never following up, at least at the end.
1: I don't either. And I also, if it's supposed to be a personal account that she's just also sharing, that is going to be turned in for the mission records, and she's also sharing it with her cousin, I... I feel like there were things that were missing that would have been important. Yeah. Um. At, but at the same time, she over-explores, to me, she over-explores like all her feelings about everything, but never really like examines them. I don't know well, if that makes so sense. It's more
0: like she talks about them and doesn't feel them. Yes. Yes. It's like, I am in love. <laughs> and, but- but you're just like, okay, if you say so. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there were just a couple other, like, things that really stuck for me. Like, the fact that they're exploring all these other worlds and there's other other cultures, like the Imperials, right, are wearing spacesuits because the bacteria on the planet is toxic to them. And so they're sterilizing the whole planet. Except they're just going to keep some of the natives in a little reservation, and, and then they also, they refer to everybody, like, they pointedly make sure to call everybody human. Like, even people from this planet, from other planets, every youngling civilization is called human, but, but like, they have different birds and different trees, and, like, they're not humans from a different planet. They're alien people. But why keep calling everybody humans when, like, a human is a species? Like, so that just sort of, like, bothered me. Yeah. And I know that these are tiny points, but they're, like, they're a bunch of little, like, prickles that make you, like, stop being immersed in the story, which for me is a big part of enjoying an escapist fantasy world.
1: Yeah, that did – it did feel like the rules kept changing a little bit in mm-hmm. different places. So, like, one thing would be established and then the next, you know – it. It would kind of play with it, but not in a way that felt like it was on purpose.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, slightly odd to me, but it makes sense when I read a little bit about the way she wrote this book. Apparently, she started it in the 50s. This book was not published until 1970, and some of the language feels like it's from the 50s. It feels like it's from 50s novels. Like Her fiancé calls her darling and is very protective and sort of paternalistic (laughs) toward her. In this very 50s feeling way, but in the next sentence, he's like, I'm so sorry. I I try to protect you when I'm afraid or whatever, like in a more modern perspective. But they're so close together, it's a little off-putting.
1: Well, I do know that when we contacted Sylvia Engdahl, um, you should check out her website. It's She's, amazing. Yeah. We should it, talk about that in It's a comprehensive. Um, she did say that they were putting out a newer edition where some of the – some of the pronouns and some of the, um, the gender content. Hmm.
0: I don't know. I mean, whatever they're going to update, which is laudable, there's still the relationship between her and her father and the relationship between her and her fiance is just icky to me. I don't know. Like they're all like,
1: they're very controlling.
0: They're very controlling, and she's like, "I know they're using me, but it's for my own benefit." But she still like acts out, but not in a way that rebels against that. Yeah, she's like, "I'm going to exercise terrible common sense," but I guess they know best. <laughs> hmm. I think,
1: I think possibly at the time that it was being written, oh, certainly, it was. You know, it was like small waves. Yeah you know i'm just saying it's like crash. a reader but, now but yeah a reader now from our perspective it's, a it's well it's a little it just is very ineffectual and it can be a little upsetting because you're like okay you're you obviously are capable you're strong you've got all these ideas you are aware like why aren't you kind of giving them hell
0: well i think it just made a slightly inconsistent character because she is in some ways extremely rebellious. Like, she decides to do these things on her own that are really dramatic. Like, stowing away on the spaceship is a big deal. And, like, breaking her oath later on is a really big deal. So, she's exercising. Breaking the oath is not terrible judgment necessarily, but it is a really big deal. But stowing away is terrible, terrible judgment. Oh, and then she also runs toward the, the machine. Yes.
1: Like, she's she's going to sacrifice herself
0: yeah, when she's been so selfish previously, deciding that she's going to do what she wants to do, like between that and then the utter, utter compliance of like, yes, I'll do exactly what my father says, even though I understand nothing. I know he's using me, but that's what a senior agent has to do. But in this totally docile tone, I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem like the same person.
1: Yeah. Because it's not like she's placating him, and then she turns around and does some badass shit, right? right. So, yeah, I mean, I wonder with—I wonder the updates. I wonder wh- how different it might look.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but Sylvia Engdahl herself is a very fascinating person.
0: Oh my god, so amazing! Let's talk about her. Mm-hmm. So, I was reading that she actually, in the fifties, became one of the first like computer programmers, and did that for a decade before she started writing science fiction which is epic, right? So she went to what, UC Berkeley, I think. How amazing is that at the time to do that for your job? Amazing. And then to go on and write science fiction. And then she has this website, which most authors have pretty good websites, but it's like about me and here's my books. No, she's like, all right, here is a comprehensive list of everything ever about why I think that humans need to do space exploration and expand into space. Like, and it's unreal. It's articles, it's interviews, it's quotes from everybody possible and, like, this evidence-based, like, it's like a thesis documentation or something on why she thinks that space exploration is 100% necessary. She believes in, like, telepathic powers but in a sciency way. And she's not just like, frou, fro, here's my idea. She's like, nope, here are like 27 articles with citations. It's awesome.
1: As someone who loves to research, her <laughs> website is incredible. And when I look at it, I'm just in awe. So the thing that I really love, I mean, those things are really great. But the thing I really love is that she has citations for every single article written about her work ever. Oh, yeah. So with a lot of the authors, a lot of the books that we do, I have to chase down stuff. I mean, I have to figure out, you know, I just have to chase down these citations in a lot of in a lot of cases and sometimes articles on them too. she's got everything listed, everything, yeah,
0: so which makes me nervous because I know she's going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I have to give my honest opinion to you even if it's not one hundred percent positive, mm. but I will say that. Like, this book is a book that's worth reading. And I think that the story is very uh, innovative, especially for its time. And and something else that I think is wonderful is that this book was recognized at the time of its publication for being innovative and a great story. I mean, I don't personally love some of the things about it, but I, ha- I can't deny that it is a good story. And it not only won awards, but this was her debut book. And apparently, I haven't read them, but she has written four more books in um, the anthropology service universe. And at least another one is a sequel to this one with the same main character, although the internet said that it had a very different tone. So I would be interested to see, I mean, almost nobody's first book is great. So to win a Newbery Honor with your first book is phenomenal. And I would be interested to see how her writing style evolved after she did her first book because it's possible that the things that I don't love about it are just because she was a new writer and she had been doing something else for decades.
1: I guess she worked on this for, like, 15 years before well, Right. It so I,
0: I mean, as someone who has, like, 60 pages of a novel in her back pocket for probably 10 years, like, I get you could start a book and then, like, just not get to it or finish it or you need to let things percolate. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just as a person that... I think she's so cool. Oh yeah
1: yeah, definitely And I I completely agree with you with all the things about it being innovative and it being kind of out of the ordinary, particularly for um, for it being a girl mm-hmm. and being being set in space and all the different themes that are uh, mm-hmm. that it explores I I think it is just my kind of modern um, my modern modern viewpoint it, I just see like some parts in it that I think, you know, like I, I just err on the side of wanting this heroine that like is dominant and takes over, yeah. and like I'll, you know. And so, I think that's one of my blind spots, right? Certainly. Um. So, um, I love that blind spot, but <laughs> yes, it's, it's like what I expect now. So,
0: also, like the language for me is so reminiscent of when I was a kid. I would get dropped off at the library, and I would just like pillage the science fiction section and just stay there and read forever. Right? I would check out. I think our library maxed out at 50 books and I would check it. I would literally leave with this gigantic sack of books and a lot of them were science fiction and I would just go home and, and read them. And I would have like, you know, Omni magazine and I would have like Robert Heinlein and like nobody monitored what I read. So I'm sure a lot of it was very inappropriate, but (laughs) I'm kind of shocked. I never found this in the piles, but there's a certain like, 60s, 70s sci fi tone. I feel like when I read this book, I can almost like smell the Omni magazines. Like there kind of like a dusty, I don't, I don't even know what I'm. It's dust and ink. Dust and ink, but like it was so specific to the science fiction that I was reading at the time that like I can almost smell it when I read this book, even though this is the first time, this isn't the first time I've read this book, but the first time that I did read this book, that it's all I can connect it with. So I think that. As uh, since I started reading what I consider to be better science fiction, that tone leaves me thinking, oh, it could be a little better, even if it might not necessarily be true. It just falls in that category. Does that make sense? Like the yeah. association?
1: Well, I mean, I think I think that we're both talking about prejudices we have when yeah. it comes to books as we, we approach them, like mm-hmm. what we enjoy versus what we have been exposed to in the past. Sure. Um... So, I mean, I think that makes total sense. Like I'm talking about, I'm just like, Alana should be like with a knife in her teeth and she (laughs) should be like hanging from the rafter. You kind of want
0: her to be like Zoe from Firefly. Um,
1: (laughs) I was thinking more Ripley, but. (laughs) Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I think that I think that this is a really great discussion about like what we've come to expect right. from heroines in sci-fi,
0: which is which is ironic because this is probably one of the building blocks that got yes. us to where we are yeah. and to, to the ones that we wanted. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. So I think it's really good that we we take some time and look at this and and <laughs> hopefully bring it to some new new readers. Yeah.
0: So. Well, I mean, and I have nothing but gratitude for the innovators who gave us any main characters much less ones who rebelled in even any small ways and mm-hmm. accomplished things and were were characters who had agency mm-hmm. this in this case literally yeah. even if they make bad choices sometimes which people do
1: yeah
0: it's still totally necessary to get us to where we are now where we have so many choices and so many great female characters like we wouldn't be here without those exactly exactly <laughs> Um, so do you have read-alikes? I do. I have to, of course, is, they're not books. I guess now they're comic books, but like there's watch-alikes. <laughs> so, you know, Firefly and Star Trek obviously would be awesome. And any of the novelizations or comic books based on those, if you like this book, those would be great. Um, and then as far as real true read-alikes or read-betters for me would be mostly Anne McCaffrey books. Um The Dragon Riders of Pern, which I'm sure most people have read at some point. Um, No? Oh, you haven't. (laughs) Oh, i read them so many times. I still have most of them.
1: I know about Pern. I know about Anne McCaffrey, but I have never read her.
0: Okay. So she has like a thousand books. There are a billion. And her most famous ones are called The Dragon Riders of Pern. And it's a world that has a pretty similar like feudal system to what this planet has. Only they have dragons that they developed – when they colonized the planet, because they're not indigenous, they, they landed there, and there was this emergency, like this stuff is falling from the sky that eats everything organic, and they had to develop one of the native species on the planets, genetically, to get it to where they could defend themselves, but in the process, they lost a lot of that original technology, because they were so busy defending themselves from the immediate danger that they were not able to maintain their previous level of technological sophistication. But occasionally in the books, like someone who does still have like spaceflight capabilities will come back. Like there's a, a story where one of them comes back because of a humming beacon or whatever, and they are then confronted with this like feudal society. So in some ways it's very similar, but in a lot of ways it's very different because in those books the emotion is very strong. Um, and it is very easy to feel connected, even though there's like a billion characters. <laughs> Um, there's also some sexy scenes. Ooh. I know. <laughs> Involving the dragons, actually. Oh, I don't uh-uh. – Well, they have, like, this, like, psychic connection to mm-hmm. the dragons, Mm-mm. and so the, the dragons have, like, mating flights, and then the people are involved. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> I uh-uh. – no judgment.
1: No judgment on you, anybody <laughs> no. else who's into that. I, I – uh, no.
0: They're not my favorite – they're not my favorite books in the world, but – um they're kind of like the bugles of literature she also has like non-dragon rider series so there's a couple other that there's a freedom series um and F- freedom is the name of another planet that involves uh colonialism and oppressed species and multiple species interacting in the same planet um so i think if you like if you like Enchanges from the stars you probably would like those Although they have sexy scenes, too. She's very big on the sexy scenes.
1: Sexy scenes are fine. I just don't know about being sexually linked to a creature that could burn
0: your genitals off. Sure. But see, the the people are not having sex with the dragons.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I just, I feel like at some point it will happen. If if you dip your toe in that, it's going (laughs) to start happening. And then you have just like uh, crispy bits.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just a lot for me to think
0: of all of a sudden and I just <laughs> yeah. don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> um so those are my read-alikes. What about you?
1: Um so the first one it actually is Left Hand of Darkness, um by Ursula K. Le Guin and it's about um it's about this native of Terra named Jen Lee Ai and um sent to a planet uh as an envoy uh there's like a confederation of planets and it's about um it, it just has all sorts of gender and progressive sexual themes and no dragons though and <laughs> apparently all i read really um, like so I have
0: a lot of sexy time
1: it has a lot of the same th- uh themes of colonization and about understanding new uh new populations. And I don't know. It's hard for me to talk about it because it's, there's just so much in it. Yeah. Um, but it's very, again, it's set in space. Um, it has to do with a lot of like diplomatic, you know, kind of diplomatic ties mm-hmm. and and um, and the stuff that goes on between these groups. Um, it's just really interesting and very, very well written. Um, and it reminds me of this. Um, the other one is uh, Mirage by Somaya Daud um and it's about a girl named Amani who wants to travel beyond her moon and she wants uh, adventure and then she gets more than she want than she asked for um, she ends up being kidnapped by a regime um and uh she has to play the role of this princess um that was assassinated um or no she sorry she has to be a like a double for a princess that is they're worried is going to be assassinated. Mm. And then she gets entangled with the princess's fiance. And so it has those, those things, those same themes of being in space and having like these, these like formal romantic things, Mm -hmm. not just relationships, but also like the court. And um, just, I I don't know. It's sometimes it's very hard for me with hard sci-fi. So, anyway, so I usually go on the side of fantasy. Fantasy is – since it's fantasy in space, that's easier for me. Fantasy
0: and space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will – I personally prefer fantasy to science fiction, although I read more science fiction at formative times in my life. And then –
1: so on that note, my last read-alike – are. Yeah, real like is Ash by Melinda Lowe, and oh, it's often tagged as a lesbian Cinderella story. But Ash's dad dies, and so Ash is left with a wicked stepmother. She's grieving. She's reading fairy tales, and then she ends up as a. Uh, she ends up as part of the royal guard, um, in a fairy world. But all of these remind me of the Enchanters from the Stars. Mostly, I think I'm tying them together with a lot of the beauty, a lot of the descriptions of just things that are really beautiful and like airy and space and mm-hmm. fairy, and, but not fairy. Okay, and then uh, we have our cocktail, the Star Cocktail. Yep. Um, Marcy... Do you enjoy this?
0: <laughs> it, it's growing on me. I think it's kind of universal. It appears like we tested this on my husband as well, and uh, the first impulse of everyone after you first sip it is to go ah, <laughs> because it's a little it's a little strong.
1: Um, so I feel like this is what maybe old sea captains would drink in their quarters <laughs> when, when they're alone. Have,
0: so it's 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 equal parts sweet vermouth and calvados. With a splash of orange bitters and a maraschino cherry. So that actually makes sense because like you'd only have preserved fruit on a ship. Apple brandy would probably make sense.
1: So they could drink this stuff, feel very important, smell very strong, mm-hmm. and not get scurvy.
0: Exactly. Well, I don't Does cherries stay off scurvy? Are well, they, it's
1: Calvados, I'm, there's orange bitters and there's the cherry.
0: That's true. I don't think those cherries are actually real fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they're made of? Yeah, maraschino cherries can't possibly be real fruit, can
1: Well, they? I mean, but what could they fashion out of it to be fruit-like?
0: Plastic. It tastes like plastic.
1: <laughs> really? I like them. It's like a trashy food that I like.
0: Hang on, I'm going to eat mine and we'll see. Oh my God, you drink the whole thing. I should have grow on me. I
1: can't. <laughs> I can't. It like really is, it is like a sea captain, a sea captain beverage. I this is like I would drink this, I would finish this if I didn't want to be able to know my own name. <laughs> I think I have the drinking capabilities of a sea captain. That's impressive. I do not. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> this this cocktail is strong. Hmm.
0: Okay. I, I do not enjoy it. <laughs> I wouldn't voluntarily drink it again, but um, if it was here in front of me, I would drink it as I, in fact, did. I'm going to eat um, the cherry, though. <laughs> in any case. Today we were talking about 1971 Newberry Honor Book, Enchantress from the Stars, by Sylvia Louise Engdahl.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen. Every one of those helps other people find us.
0: And review us on Facebook. We're on all the things. We love attention. Please go like us. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove graphic design by Liz Mytinger, intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. The music for this podcast is provided by the laid back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.